Um, we have been doing a series working through the book of Matthew. Today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 14. And so if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and, and open that, uh, up to that. Um, when I was 16 years old, a, a lot of you have heard this story before. I think I maybe shared it. I may have even shared it a few weeks ago. And, uh, but I, I feel like it's, it's something that's very pertinent uh, for what we're looking at in Matthew 14. And for me, it was also a very uh, formative experience for me as a young man. When I was 16 years old, I had recommitted my life to Christ. I was involved in a Bible study with a guy named Mike Johnson and a couple of high school students. And I remember as Mike was talking with us, he, he was talking with us about the importance, the importance of talking with other people and sharing with other people about the hope that we have in Christ. And as Mike was talking about this, I was feeling a little bit of guiltiness because I'm like, because uh, I, I just simply didn't do that. And, uh, and I remember as Mike was talking, I interrupted because that's what I did. It, it was a spiritual gift of mine was interrupting. And I, 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 I just said, you know, Mike, I, I don't really talk to people about Christ. And, and, um, and, 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 and I'll be honest with you, I don't do it because two things. Number one, I, I just don't feel like I'm qualified. I don't know how to do it. And number two, it, the thought of doing that scares the daylights out of me. And so Mike was not prepared for this interruption and what this message he was wanting to share with these high school guys. And so what he did was um, he just ended the Bible study right there. And he said, okay, guys, we're done. You can go home. And at that point, I'm like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Uh, but he said, you guys can go home. And so everybody's getting their stuff, and they're walking out the door. And I'm getting ready to walk out the door, and he says, not you. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, boy, I'm in, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. So uh, he says, not you. And so I sit back down, and I'm just kind of waiting. And he's, he's busy doing some stuff around his desk, straightening some things up, picking some things up. And then he walks out the door and leaves me there. And I'm like, I'm just sitting there, you know, I don't know what to do. And, he, and then he looks back through the door and he says, are you coming with me? And I'm like, I have no clue where he's, he's going, what he's doing. So I follow him out the door. I follow him out the door. And he's walking, and I can tell he's upset. Because he's not walking so that I can catch up with him. He's walking so that he's ahead of me. And I'm just following along like two or three steps behind. And we walk and, and, and we're walking down the sidewalk, and suddenly he starts walking up to the front door of this house. And I was 16, but I wasn't stupid. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I know what he's going to do. He's going to walk up to the door of a complete stranger. He's going to knock on that door, and he's going to start talking to those people about Jesus. And so I did what any really spiritual 16-year-old would do in that situation. I started praying. I started praying. I said, God, I pray that nobody is home. That's what I prayed. God, I pray that no one, I seriously, I prayed, God, please, I am begging you that nobody will be home. And you know what happened? God answered my prayer. He answered my prayer. No one was home. And I thought, oh, man. You know, I was like, you know, I felt so relieved. And then what he did was he, he walked away from that house. And he starts walking up to another house. I'm like, oh, my goodness. 
you know, can't this guy just kind of get it that maybe God doesn't want us to talk to anybody today? And, he's, and he goes up to another door, and again, I'm praying that nobody's there. And guess what? God answered my prayer. No one was there. And then what Mike does, Mike was kind of a, I don't want to be mean, but I, Mike was a great guy. He was about 10 years older than I was, but he was a little bit, a little bit awkward, okay? And so a little bit of a, well, you know, okay, just a little bit awkward. I'm trying to say this as nicely as I can. And so Mike starts walking up to two guys who are working on their motorcycle. Now, these guys are a little bit rough around the edges. They look nothing like Mike, okay? These guys are, in, in, you know, in, in, in my mind, in that part of Little Rock, Southwest Little Rock, it was not the worst part of town, but it wasn't the best either. And, and, like, I didn't know these guys, but I knew guys like these guys. I went to school with them. I grew up around them. I lived around these guys. And, and these guys, these guys that work on motorcycles, all they care about, folks, all they care about besides motorcycles is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's it. That's it. That's what, they, that's what their life is about. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, Mike, I'm not saying this, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, Mike, you're an idiot. I mean, do you not know what these guys are about? And you're getting ready to walk up to them. And so Mike walks up to these guys. And again, I'm like a couple steps back and a little bit to the side. He walks up to them. He says, hi, my name is Mike Johnson. This is my friend Gary. And uh, we're talking with people about, uh, about what it means to know Jesus in a personal way. Can we get your opinion on a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws? And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for both these guys to kind of stand up, get away from their motorcycle, step towards Mike and say, hey, you fool, can't you see we're working on a motorcycle? Don't you know that all we care about is sex, drugs, and rock and roll? I'm waiting for this kind of response. Uh, and instead... What they say is, yeah, it'd be fine. I'm like, what? It'd be fine? You want to talk about Jesus? And so, Mike, what Mike does is Mike says, oh, okay, okay, well, well, great. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate you being open and receptive. Well, what I'd like to do is I'd like for my buddy Gary to go through this booklet with you. <laughs> you know, it's like not knowing how to swim and, and somebody throws you off in the deep end of the pool, Okay. Except it's not the pool. You're in the middle of the ocean. And there's no island close by. I mean, I am like in the deep end of the pool. I am feeling absolutely inadequate. And I'm feeling inadequate because I was. And, and I remember <clears throat> I started going through this little booklet and I'm reading it. You know, just as there are physical laws that govern the physical universe, so are there spiritual laws that govern your relationship with God. And I'm just reading it. I'm just reading it. You know, law one, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I'm like, how can God love these guys and have a plan for their lives? But, you know, I'm reading it because the booklet says it. And I'm going through it, and I'm going page by page and point by point. And these guys are just, I mean, they're listening. They're like showing a measure of interest that I just was convinced would never happen. I'd already talked myself into believing that no one would really be interested in knowing the gospel. 
I'd already talked myself into believing that no one would be interested in the gospel. I'd already talked myself into believing that there's no way God could work through someone like me. I mean, I, 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 I knew those things. I, I had talked myself into believing those things. So I get to the end of this little booklet, and I, I asked these two guys, I said, have either one of you committed your life to Christ like this little booklet talks about before? And both the guys said no. And I said, well, would you like to? And they said yes. And I'm like, wait, wait a second, all you care about is, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. <laughs> Did you hear the question correctly? No, I didn't do that. But, you know, what in that experience, in that experience, I saw something and experienced something that I didn't expect to experience. That in that experience, what happened is I saw God's sufficiency in my inadequacy. Does that make sense? That, that what happened that day, when those two guys, you know, when they made commitments to Christ that day, it wasn't because I was a superstar evangelist. I was a 16-year-old kid who had, had very limited training and understanding about this. I'd, I'd never done anything like this in my life. And so, really, it wasn't about me. It was, it was really about, it was about God. It was that in my inadequacy, I saw God's sufficiency. The truth is, is a lot of us sometimes feel inadequate. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in my feelings. A lot of times, a lot of us feel inadequate. By the way, did you know, I'm 59 years old now. 59. Guess what? Sometimes I still feel inadequate. Did you know that? I do. Sometimes I still feel inadequate. But what I'm learning is that God's sufficiency is greater than my inadequacy. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, some of y'all may know who Chuck Swindoll is. He's written a few books. Used to be the president of Dallas Seminary and done some other works. And, and Swindoll uh, has this ministry insight for living. And I'm not sure if he wrote this article or if one of his staff wrote it. It's called Facing the Tough Stuff of Inadequacy. But in this article, it says, Call it insecurity, fear of failure, or an identity crisis. And, and then... He writes this, he says, Most men are driven by an unspoken and often unacknowledged sense of inadequacy. What's more, they fear that their inadequacy will be exposed. Uh, it terrifies some of us. They, they fear that their inadequacy will be exposed and their true identity will be revealed. They will be found out as the poser they really are. Posing as a confident husband. Posing as a competent father, posing as a capable worker, posing as a good Christian. The truth is, is that many of us, men, and not just men, sometimes struggle with feelings of inadequacy. Have you ever felt that? You ever feel in a moment like, I'm just not enough for this? This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to look at a text of Scripture where the disciples came face to face with their inadequacy. Uh, where they came face to face with their in, inadequacy and how God proved His power through their weakness. In Matthew chapter uh, 14, verses 13 
through 21. The Bible says this. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, by the way, real quick, let's time out here. What had happened? Jesus had just gotten the news that John the Baptist had, had been beheaded, that John the Baptist had been executed. And, and John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus. We don't know how close. He may have been a first or second cousin, but he was a relative uh, of Jesus. And, and he was also the one that had baptized Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. And so John, or Jesus gets this bad news about John, and he's grieved by it. And this is when Jesus heard what had happened. He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. My guess is he needed a place to grieve. He, he withdrew to, uh, by boat privately to a solitary place. And hearing of this, that Jesus had gone to this place, the crowds followed him on foot from, from the towns. When Jesus landed, he, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and they said, This is a remote place. We're out in the middle of nowhere. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, he said, They don't need to go away. They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. We're talking about 5,000 men plus women and children. Maybe 20,000 people. Maybe 25. We don't know. It was a huge crowd of people. You ever feed that many people? I mean, I think the most we've ever fed in our home is we've, I I think a while back we we had Faith's, um, uh, what do you call it? Their their cross-country team with those boys, it felt like 25,000. Especially the way they ate. You wouldn't believe how much food skinny guys can eat. <laughs> but we probably had a little over 40 there. We probably had a little over 40. And, uh, but we've never fed 25,000. And so what Jesus says to these guys is, we don't need to send them away. You. You. He says the word you. Give them something to eat. <laughs> the disciples, they reply, well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Hint, hint. Five loaves of bread, two fish. Jesus, it's going to take about six months' wages to, to feed this kind of, this kind of a crowd. And Jesus says to the, the disciples, he says, bring them here to me. And he directed the people to sit down in the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls. They picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. You know, there are three things that kind of stand out to me when I, I, I read this text. And I want to hit these three things, but then I want to talk to you about one very, very powerful lesson and three points of application. But three things that stand out to me when I read the text is this. Is that first of all, Jesus provided the disciples with everything they needed to do all that Jesus wanted them to do. In other words, they never had to trust in their own adequacy. 
that, that Jesus provided everything they needed to do, everything that Jesus wanted them to do. And, and the second thing I notice is this, is that Jesus gives them everything they need as they're doing what Jesus wants them to do. See, when they show up on the scene, they show up with five loaves of bread and two fish. They don't show up with five tractor-trailer rigs from Wonder Bread filled with, and, and, you know, and, and Long John Silver's fish and chips with, with fish and bread. It's not like that. It, it's like they, they show up and they got five loaves of bread and they got two fish. And what Jesus says is it says that he breaks the, the loaves, the fish, and he gives it to the disciples. And they're giving it to the people. And he's giving it to the disciples. And they're giving it to the people. And, and he's giving it to the disciples. And, and you know, they feed a hundred people. And then they feed a thousand people. And he's giving them this, this fish. And he's giving them this bread. And he's giving it to them. And they're giving it to the people. Is that, that, that Jesus gives them what they need as they're doing what Jesus wants them to do. And after they're done with what Jesus wanted them to do, Jesus provided them with what they needed and moreover. See, they began this whole uh, adventure with five loaves of bread and two fish. But they finished with 12 baskets, one for each disciple. 12 baskets, not just Baskets, baskets that were filled to overflowing with, with food, with bread and fish. I, I believe there's one really, really powerful lesson in this text. And, and that's this. It's that, that God's sufficiency is always greater than my inadequacy. You get that? God's sufficiency is greater than my inadequacy. In fact, let, let's, let's do a little Nate Stone Street this morning. Can we do that? Can you say this with me? That, that God, God, God's sufficiency is always greater. Can you say this with me? God's sufficiency is always greater than my inadequacy. You ever feel inadequate? For the rest of your life, I want you to preach this message to yourself. I, when you feel inadequate, when, when you are in a situation that just feels overwhelming, I want you to preach this message to yourself because I can't preach it to you for you. That God's sufficiency is always greater than my inadequacy. That, that God is sufficient. Three, three points of application I want to share with you. Three points of application. The first one is this, is that God is sufficient when I feel inadequate. That what, what happens in this text is Jesus tells the disciples to feed the people. Why, why does he tell them to do that? I, I think what he's trying to do is I, I think he's trying to show them right up front, you know, that, that they just simply don't have the means to get it done. They've got five loaves of bread and two fish. And so what Jesus does is he, he, um, he tells them to feed the people. And the disciples object. Uh, in the other Gospels, we, we read that, that they tell Jesus it would take six-month wages to feed the multitudes. And that all they have are two small fish and five loaves. And Jesus asks for the loaves and the fish. And the disciples give it to him. He lifts it toward heaven. He gives thanks. And then he takes it, breaks it, 
gives it to disciples, who give it to, gives it to the multitudes, and it's multiplied to feed thousands. That when we feel overwhelmed, we need to remember that God's sufficiency is greater than our inadequacy. Uh, I recently read this article. Um, uh, read this article from this gal. God got it. Uh, what was her name? Oh, you know what? I'm going to pass over that part because I, I already lost it. But 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 um, when you know in that article I was telling you about a moment ago by by Swindoll, that one of the things that, that Swindoll says is that that when we feel overwhelmed with our inadequacy, there are two things we can do. One is embrace our inadequacy, and number two is to trust in Christ's sufficiency. Second, second point of application, the big lesson for us here, the big lesson is that God's sufficiency is always greater than my inadequacy. But, but the second point of application is this, is that God invites us to be a part of the miracle. He invites us to be a part of his miracle. Uh, we see this not just with the disciples here. We see this over and over again through the scriptures. Jesus routinely invites people to be a part of the miracle. You remember the story of Moses? Do you remember how, how God appears to Moses? And he says, Moses, I'm going to send you back to Egypt, and you're going to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And how does Moses respond? I, yeah, not me. Send somebody else. In fact, in one part, he says this. He says, I am slow of speech, meaning that I'm not a very good speaker. And how does God respond to Moses? God says, who made the mouth? Who made the mouth? See, you need to get over your inadequacy and you need to focus on my sufficiency. The miracle will come through you, but it will come by me. And that God uses it and he invites us to be a part of the miracle. When, when uh, God wanted to... to um, uh, to bring freedom to the nation of Israel again and again when you read through the book of Judges, that he raises up people like Gideon. He raises up people like Samson. Later in First, first Samuel, we read about how God delivers the nation of Israel through David, a shepherd boy. That, that God likes to invite us to be a part of the miracle. That's exactly what he does with the Jesus. His, or excuse me, what Jesus does with the, 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 the uh, disciples is he invites them to be a part of his miracle. He, 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 he tells them to give the people something to eat, and then he provides them with what he needs. And God will provide us with everything we need to do everything he wants us to do. That, that what God wants to do is he wants to work through you, and he wants to work through me, that he wants you to be a part of the miracle. So if you're like me, if you're like me, if you're like me when I was 16 years old, if you're like me sometimes the way I feel today, well, God, I, I'm, I'm inadequate. I'm, I'm not up to that. You know, I, I don't have what it takes to be a really a powerful witness for you. That, God, I could never be used by you to, to minister to this person. But what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Jesus says, but you'll receive power. But, God, I'm inadequate, but you will receive power. But, God, I'm inadequate, but you will receive power. And you're going to have to make up your mind. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe yourself and what you've been telling yourself? Or are you going to believe Jesus? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Those are not my words. I'm not telling you to be witnesses. I would never do that. 
I don't have to. Jesus does. See, we, we talk ourselves at, out of believing that God can work through us, but Jesus is saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. See, God wants you and me to be a part of his miracle with him. That he's the one who supplies the power. He's the one who's, who's sufficient. We may be inadequate, but his sufficiency is always greater than our inadequacy. Third point of application is this. God wants us to give spiritual bread to the spiritually hungry. Uh, now, this isn't reflected in, in Matthew 14, but we do see it uh, in, in John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, uh, it, 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 the, earlier in John 6, we see the, the, same, the same miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 is recorded. And in, in John chapter 6, Jesus is speaking to the multitudes, and he says to them, because, you know, they're, they're wanting more bread. They're wanting more bread. They're wanting more bread. And, and they said, Moses gave us bread from heaven. And, and what Jesus says to the people, it wasn't, wasn't Moses that gave you bread from heaven. It was my Father who gave you bread from heaven. And then what Jesus tells the people, he says this. He says, I am the bread of life. See, the bread that the people around us need is they need the bread of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. See, what, what God wants us to do is he wants us to give spiritual bread to the spiritually hungry. As St. Augustine once said, that you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. Uh, another guy, French philosopher, mathematician, Blaise Pascal, once said that there's a God-shaped vacuum or emptiness in the heart of of every man that cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God himself, the creator, made known through Jesus Christ. People, there, there are people right now in our community. There are people who live next door to you. They live across the street from you. They work with you. They go to school with you. There are people who they shop in the same, same grocery store you shop in. There are people you bump into every day. In this community. And, and these people are hungry. They are hungry. They're hungry for hope. They want hope. I mean, everybody needs hope. They're hungry for hope. They're hungry for spiritual meaning. People need to have a sense that their life has, has meaning and significance and importance. They're hungry for, for, for meaning. They're hungry for love. That all of us, we, we need to be loved. We need to be cared for. We need to know that if something happened to us, we'd be missed. Yeah, you, you might hire Nate Stone Street to take my place, but hopefully if I die next week, you'll miss me the week after, okay? We, we need to know that we're loved, that we're going to be missed. We need to know that our lives matter, that, that there are people around us, they're hungry, and they're hungry for belonging. People, what they're hungry for is they're hungry for Jesus. They're hungry for the bread of life, that when they eat it, they'll no longer hunger. That when they, they drink of him, they'll no longer thirst. Have you ever felt inadequate? 
Have you ever felt like God could never work through someone like me? This morning, we've looked at a text of Scripture where the disciples came face to face with their inadequacy. But they also came face to face with God's sufficiency. The Bible teaches us that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. But through Christ, we can do all things. That's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that God's power is perfected in our weakness. That's what the Bible says. God's sufficiency is always greater than our inadequacy. Let's pray. God, I pray, I pray for us today that we will learn to trust in your sufficiency, especially when we feel inadequate. God, I I pray that we will learn to pay attention to our self-talk. I pray that we'll pay attention to our self-talk when we're telling ourselves, I could never do that or God could never use me for that. God, I I pray that you'd help us to pay attention to that. But then I pray that you would teach us to to quit trusting the lies we're telling ourselves and start trusting the truth that you tell us. Lord, help us to rely on and to trust in your sufficiency. And God, use us. Use us as a church. Use us as as a people to give spiritual bread to the spiritually hungry in our community. And I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.